I'm going to lay out a history of Superhero Rewind and tell you all my tips and tricks to making a show like this. So nobody rip me off, or I'll have to get YouTube to flag you for copyright. That's cool. I'm just kidding. Not like I hold a patent on incessant rambling or overly detailed story analysis. I started Superhero Rewind in 2009 as a brief overview discussion of movies that featured superheroes. These were some of my favorite movies growing up. Admittedly, guilty pleasures, a lot of them, because my love for superheroes and perhaps movies and stories in general begins with Batman in 1989. And that movie led to a love affair with the medium of comic books. I was fascinated by big studio attempts to translate the seemingly untranslatable to screen, to take a heightened aesthetic and make it with real people, and make an audience believe it, to immerse us in another world like all good stories do, without making us laugh out loud at how silly characters look, wearing masks and capes or covered in clown makeup like Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson famously did on the set of Batman because they thought what they were doing was so ridiculous. I grew up in a time when Hollywood was trepidatious about comic book movies, when mostly the only superhero films we saw were attempts to recreate the success of Batman by making something gritty and serious and brooding whether the property it adapted was well-suited to that tone or not. And then, in high school and college, I lived through an experimental period, where after the success of X-Men and Spider-Man, more superhero movies were being attempted, and studios were trying out different tones, because Batman and Robin had proved that audiences weren't interested in just schlock and cheeseball comedy in superhero films. But they clearly didn't always want the hardest-edged things possible either, given the mixed reviews of Batman Returns in 1992. X-Men was a more sophisticated and socially challenging story than most of these kinds of movies had been in the past, and Spider-Man was a light-hearted adventure that appealed to a younger audience and included an everyman protagonist most people could relate to. So that led to darker movies like Daredevil and more light-hearted things like Fantastic Four, but few movies in the early and mid-2000s that struck a chord with audiences, or gold for a studio like Spider-Man had. Most of the movies during this period, though they weren't all going for the exact same tone, had some of the same problems. They felt watered down for the masses, and they were afraid to let their characters come alive and drive the story, to explore the potential human complexities of characters like Matt Murdock or Johnny Blaze. But in 2008, Iron Man and The Dark Knight both proved, again with movies of very different tones, attitudes, and thematic ideas, that superhero movies could tell real stories that resonated with people, but still be a great time at the theater. Batman Begins did it three years earlier, of course, but a lot of people weren't paying attention yet. So a year after The Dark Knight, as I decided to try my hand at the reviewing game and make regular videos, I saw so much potential in superheroes on screen, and I wanted to explore the past of these kinds of films while keeping a close eye on the present and anticipating an exciting future. And of course, the future has become the past, and I've reviewed countless movies I couldn't have even imagined would ever see the light of day when I started. I wanted to talk a little about the sordid history of what I then referred to as the superhero subgenre, but I was mostly focused on the stories themselves. Overall, superhero movies were pretty formulaic. A lot of them seemed like carbon copies of each other. 
just plugging in different heroes, villains, settings, tragic origins, love interests, and costume motifs into the mathematical equation. I've told this story many times before, but never on Superhero Rewind, so I'll mention it again in case you haven't heard it. When I started the series, I had just graduated from college with a degree in English and an emphasis in creative writing, and I developed a passion for literary analysis and critique, finding I enjoy nonfiction writing about storytelling maybe as much as I enjoy actually telling stories. I also got my palette wetted for reviewing a couple years before that, in 2007, when I wrote and served as editor for a blog in an internship position for a startup social network, now defunct, called My Geek Life, which later changed its name to Geekvolution. When its founder moved on to other things, he saw how the YouTube channel was growing with Superhero Rewind and graciously gave me the brand. When the name changed on the social network, I didn't care for it, but Geekvolution has grown on me over the years, and it's strange now how intertwined it is with my, air quote, professional identity. I always wanted to write novels, and I wrote my first book in college, but I discovered that I also liked dissecting the process, figuring out what makes a piece tick, and examining the various aspects of a work to see if putting all the pieces together, it's effectively accomplishing what it's setting out to do. A bad story can have great dialogue, and a bad movie can have fantastic cinematography, or a score, or visual effects. At the end of the day, it's all about servicing the narrative, and my training in school prepared me as much for writing about that as it did for writing my own fiction. But I didn't really have an avenue for utilizing that skill, nor any publishers lining up to handle my book. I was thirsty to continue writing and workshopping, and though it sounded like a pipe dream at the time, I decided it couldn't hurt to try out a public forum like YouTube to do both even though I had never had aspirations for journalism or videography. It's funny how you fall into things you never thought you'd do or even want to do. I made little movies in high school, bad stop-motion action figure things and quirky, experimental, they-might-be-giants-esque music videos, but I wasn't a visual guy, and I didn't have a great head for technology. I've been doing this for a decade, and I still can't speak intelligently about frame rate or aspect ratio or resolution, and I don't know anything about my camera specs or the kind of video card I use in my machine. I just know they're both adequate for what I'm doing. I might have just started another blog reviewed on a podcast, which was another medium I was experimenting with at the time, but it seemed like if I was going to carve out any kind of niche, it didn't have to be big, I'd have settled for more than the 15 or so who were listening to my podcast at the time, I needed to go to YouTube. Inspired by SF Debris' insightful and funny opinionated episode guides for TV series, at the time primarily Star Trek Voyager, I decided to write about superhero movies because I couldn't find anyone else doing a series only devoted to that, like Debris was just devoted to science fiction television though he's branched out since then, as have I. My hope was to build an audience to sell my books to, create my own word-of-mouth advertising by getting people interested in me through a totally different avenue, which, much to my dismay, worked at least to a small degree. A couple years in, I did publish my first novel with a small independent publisher, and the majority of the copies I sold were to subscribers on YouTube. Only a few dozen, but I had far more readers than I would have without it. What really shocked me was that the critiques ended up taking priority for me, and I started to see myself as more of a critic than a fiction writer. I've been working on getting back into that kind of writing as well. A few years ago, I combined both passions when I made the narratively-focused review series Spawn Year, and I wrote a novel in the summer of 2017, which I'm finally close to publishing on my own this year, under my own publishing arm, Geekvolution Press. 
I never expected video reviewing to be at all lucrative, and although clearly Geekvolution is a small potatoes channel, I've been able to generate enough income to consider it a full-time gig, and you never know what could have been, but I've almost certainly made more money doing this than I would have writing novels. And let me be clear, I was never looking for some kind of get-rich-quick scheme, just desperately trying to cash in on the latest craze to go viral fast and generate a bunch of money all at once. I would have handled this very differently if that were my goal. It was always about striking a balance for me between making what I wanted to make my way, and once I realized it was even possible to generate an income doing it, as it was only a hobby the first couple of years, I wanted to do as well as I could in that department without sacrificing the joy of the work and the quality of the content. And I was never interested in just making a product and staying hands-off with the viewers. The most valuable thing to come out of this series and Geekvolution at large is a close-knit community that is overall about as respectful and thoughtful as any I found on the internet. It's relatively small, but incredibly supportive. A lot of our regular commenters have been with us since nearly the beginning, which is absolutely surreal to me and something I don't take for granted. I like to think I know a thing or two about writing and effective storytelling, but I've never presumed to be anything but what I am. A guy making videos in his basement who's lucky enough that there's somebody out there who cares what he has to say. I've done it this long because, astonishingly, some folks want to know what I think about things, and so I write my thoughts down or I stutter into a camera as articulately as I can. The writing itself is fun, and I learn and grow constantly just from that process, but it's the demand that really motivates me. I don't mean to get mushy on you guys, but the excitement I saw in the comments and on Facebook when I announced the 12 Days of Superhero Rewind made me the happiest guy in the world. Every day since Superhero Rewind started to gain a little traction, I thought, man, this really shouldn't be working, but it is, and that's why I'm still here. If it was all about trying to become a top-tier channel or a YouTube celebrity or getting to a six-figure place... I certainly wouldn't have finished Spawn Year, which is the most expensive and time-consuming endeavor I've ever taken on, and only generated a fraction of the views of the average superhero rewind. But I did that for the same reason I took creative writing courses in junior college that didn't transfer to university. Experience and passion. I learned so much from making that show. My editing is tighter, I think my writing is more confident, and hopefully a little more refined, and I know a lot more about shot composition and lighting and such. I know output on Superhero Rewind was lean the two years I took to make that show, and that was certainly a risk, but creatively, it was important to me, as difficult as it was to slog through all those terrible comics. I would have gotten burnt out on reviewing superhero movies if I hadn't gotten back to writing my own fiction, in some capacity, and I had to get creative with the reviews themselves to keep things fresh. I have a renewed excitement for doing the series again, and I think I needed to try some other things, like Spawn Year and the comic shop documentary The Midwestern Panels, before that happened. I will admit to my writing sometimes being maybe a little less focused than it was in the beginning when these videos were only 10 minutes long. I'm jumping way ahead. Let's go back to the beginning. I talked about all the things I wanted to explore with superhero movies when I started, like I laid out in the very first review, Superman Doomsday. The good, the bad, the memorable, the unmemorable, and everything in between. I want to discuss these movies within the context of their impact on the culture or lack thereof, which is why I've often opened my reviews with a look back at the cinematic landscape 
and climate of the time a given movie was released, and why a film needs to be at least two years old before I feature it on Superhero Rewind. That's also because the name of the show doesn't make a lot of sense if I review a movie days after it's released in the theater. That format might seem a little outmoded now, as there are so many more channels doing this kind of thing, real intricate nitty-gritty analysis immediately after a movie is released, and everything that could possibly be said about a movie seemingly gets said before I finally get around to it, especially something either really popular, really polarizing, or universally panned. But this format gives me the benefit of distance and hindsight. It's easier to get a sense of what went right or what went wrong when you give a movie enough time to make more than an immediate impression on the culture, both commercially and critically. And you have to discuss commercial films on both levels to take them on their own terms, because money is such a driving force behind them whether you describe them as art or not. But believe it or not, I kind of started this series as a joke. The series itself isn't a comedy show, like The Nostalgia Critic or The Angry Video Game Nerd, though I try to temper the academic stuff with conversational writing, and I'll throw in a joke when one springs to mind. There's never a quota, though. I don't want to force humor, and I've always tried to put the emphasis on the analysis. But the idea at first was to take what I learned in college, writing literary analysis, and apply it to something really commercial and mainstream, that generally wasn't trying to be art, and talk about superhero movies the same way I would critique a serious work of fiction. Which is a quaint notion now, and difficult to even articulate to anyone younger than me that Gasp grew up with YouTube, now over a decade old, and a major part of a lot of culture's experience now. That makes me feel old. It seemed a little silly at the time, in-depth literary analysis of superhero movies. Silly like Michael Keaton felt when he put on the Batman mask. But now, that kind of reviewing is a staple of YouTube. I'm not the only one writing what are essentially scholarly papers on big-budget popcorn movies. And I'm not knocking the other reviewers who do that in a not-at-all-tongue-in-cheek way. I did it as an exercise. I wasn't pretending like these things were deeper than they were, I was just looking for those few nuggets in an otherwise formulaic popcorn film. But I started to find enough real story meat in some of these movies that it was easier to start taking the whole project more seriously. And I never pretended like we were talking about high art. I called the first Ninja Turtles film one of my sacred cows. I think the term I was looking for was guilty pleasure. But I started to realize there was more merit to this idea than I initially thought. I could, like SF Debris was doing, encourage people to think a little about the entertainment they were watching more passively. Not to encourage people to be snobs and dislike things they enjoy, but just to consider how the story is told and what the narrative might be saying that they might not have considered on a casual watch. I thought it might be fun and interesting to use films that are generally dismissed as throwaway spectacles to illustrate what a good real story is, with a protagonist who wants something and has an opportunity for change. The reviews became more complicated when some of the movies did. As general audiences started taking superhero movies more seriously, I started to have a lot more to say, especially about contemporary films that either were more sophisticated than some of what came before, or were presented as if they were. There are a number of other factors that made the reviews longer and the job more complex. When I started, it was generally assumed that people watching internet reviews had short attention spans and wouldn't sit through anything longer than 10 minutes. That was also the maximum length of YouTube videos at the time. So I didn't have the luxury of writing until I'd exhausted absolutely everything I had to say. And until I had more experience, I didn't have as much to say as I do these days. I've never had the gift of brevity, as you can tell just with this video, but my early efforts were cliff notes compared to the tomes I write today, and I got some complaints about the length of the videos back then. 
One of my favorite comments came in the first six months where somebody wrote on a superhero rewind, shut the F up. Some viewers weren't looking for what I was selling. There are different purposes for different reviews. Newspaper style reviews are about communicating what a movie is about and what it's like to an audience that mostly hasn't seen it yet and helping them to decide whether they'll like it. What I was doing, even with those first few overview-style rewinds, was for an audience that was already familiar with the material, and they were about critical analysis. It took me a while to realize I needed a disclaimer, which in hindsight seems pretty obvious, which is why every review now opens with, the following is an in-depth analysis. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before listening to this review. I can't believe I needed a viewer to point out the necessity of that. But in my defense... I think I assumed the length of the videos would make that pretty clear. Ten minutes felt like a long video when you weren't allowed to go any longer. I think one of my mistakes was calling these reviews rather than analyses, though I would have worried that sounded too pretentious, mostly just for the sake of consistency. And that's not an incorrect term, it's just not the non-spoiler, bite-sized, concise thing most everyone else was doing at the time. These days, I don't think people really know what to expect with a reviewer they're not familiar with until they click on a video, and they just hope for the courtesy of a spoiler warning. A few months after I started, that time was extended to 15 minutes, and within my first year or two, my channel grew large enough that I was given the privilege of unlimited length videos. Yeah, back then you needed a certain subscriber count. Maybe it was a thousand, I forget now, before you didn't have to worry about the time limit. And if you got a community or copyright strike, you lose that feature for six months, which happened to me when I was working on the Watchmen review. Somebody flagged one of our videos for inappropriate content, and of course there was nothing in the video to warrant that, but everything was automated, and I couldn't get an actual person to look at my case. So that's why Watchmen was originally uploaded in several parts. Naturally, that had to happen as I was writing what was then my longest review. As my knowledge of superhero movies grew, and as I delved more and more into modern comics, I started to find a lot more patterns and interesting connections between these movies. I also started to loosen up a little, writing more about what I was interested in and worrying less about how these kinds of reviews are supposed to be made. I used to constantly apologize for getting too term papery in the earliest reviews, like with my analysis of the ideologically opposed triad Professor X, Magneto, and Stryker in X2. I wrote maybe a paragraph about that dynamic. I could easily spend a whole page on it now. At first... I looked at what other channels were doing, trying to land on some kind of standard for reviewing, but I found that the kind of reviewing I was doing was too generic, and not really what I set out to do in the first place. I wanted to write creative writing lectures around superhero movies. The series was already going in more of an analysis direction anyway, once I could upload videos longer than 15 minutes, and some of the two-part videos early on were still too overviewy. But by the time I got to Batman Begins, I was fully embracing story analysis, and that's when the series was beginning to build an audience, and I think, finding its footing. It's also when I started to feel like I was really in my element. Like Tribe One says in his rap at the end of the documentary we made, the Midwestern panels, I don't care if I'm doing it wrong. When I started to play more to my strengths, I think I carved out a bit of a niche, doing something a little different from everyone else. There wasn't a huge demand for it, but there was enough interest it let me focus on the writing itself with these movies, which is where I live. I worried I came to the party too late in 2009, a whole three years after YouTube started. I thought reviewing was already so saturated I wouldn't be able to find an audience. It was an untapped market compared to what it is now. 
I wasn't sure at that time that anyone would watch still images accompanied by a disembodied voice rather than the moving pictures I'd seen in SF Debris videos. And I figured I'd spin my wheels for a few months and move on to something else when I didn't gain any traction. But the audience came, slowly but surely. Geeks Not Nerds, the geeky debate show I did with Vince Haskins, and Ask the Trexperts, another off-the-cuff series I did with my wife, helped to bring in different kinds of viewers. But Rewind was always the bread and butter. Both my show and Vince's horror movie Rewind, which did just as well as my show did, and was, I have to say, just as good. Those series brought in a few subscribers here and there, but the thing that really put us on the map, as tiny a blip as we were, was the video Eric Holden made about us in 2010 when I reached out to him, when he was regularly putting out videos on his channel, Blows Himself Up Dude. I was hoping to do a collaboration with him of some kind, and Eric sent me a message back after he sampled our content, and not only agreed to chat with me about the then-recently-announced X-Men First Class, but he recommended us in a video devoted just to plugging us. I enjoyed listening to Eric's channel, but I don't remember for the life of me how I stumbled upon it. A lot of his audience started following us, he had about 2,000 subscribers at the time, and they were watching Rewind more than anything else. As the numbers grew, more fans looking for reviews of superhero movies found us, and by the time I posted the Batman Begins review, some of my analyses had a few thousand views, which was more than I ever hoped for, and that only encouraged me to keep doing my thing. I've been asked why I bother staying as devoted to a channel with videos that don't always even break a thousand views, and my response is always the same. A few hundred people are spending their valuable time listening to what I have to say, of course I'm going to keep doing this. If I could go back in time and tell my kid self that someday that many people would be driving around in their car or mowing their lawn or doing the dishes and listening to me prattle on about Spider-Man, he'd have had a heart attack at 12 years old. The interest and encouragement is motivation to do the work, but it's always been about the work. It's more of an interactive experience with criticism. I learn a lot from feedback and viewers' knowledge I didn't have when I wrote the reviews, but I feel the same way about my nonfiction writing as I do my fiction. Make the best product I can that I would want to read and hope there's someone else out there to enjoy it. Miraculously, I found some of those people, and I owe Eric a lot for that. Currently, he's living with me and is my other half on the Geekvolution Omnibus, and he's brought so much to the channel itself. Without Eric, I don't know if I'd even still be here. I'd certainly be writing something, but I don't know if I'd have continued to commit to reviewing every superhero movie ever made without an audience asking for more. The series has gone through a lot of changes over the years, and often I've tried new things and wound up going back to what worked before. The reviews have become more intricate, they've gotten longer, and I've tried subjects I never expected to do in the beginning, like top 10 TV episode lists, more recently whole season overviews, weird non-movies like the Coming Out of Their Shells tour, and I've even reviewed a reality TV show, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? But a lot of changes have come out of necessity due to issues with the YouTube platform. I've struggled with copyright flags and strikes since the very beginning. I've tried to follow the rules, but they've always been vague and different for different sized channels. If you're big enough, it seems like footage and licensed music are okay, but if you're tiny like me, even if you're with a network and you're generating revenue for YouTube, the big companies that own the material you're reviewing can demonetize your videos, block your videos, or put their own ads on your content and take all the revenue for themselves, even if what you're doing falls squarely into the fair use category, which Superhero Rewind certainly should. I'm not showing the entire film, the audio is always 99 to 100% mine, and I'm only showing screenshots to illustrate my points. I'm not even ripping footage. 
I did when I was posting to the now-defunct blip.tv, which was more fair with fair use videos, because at the time... I thought that made the videos appear more professional, and that was more of what the audience wanted. It turns out a lot more of our audience preferred the stills, because, again, what I was doing was more like a lecture with a slideshow than a more comedy-based series like SF Debris or The Nostalgia Critic. The stills allowed me to put a microscope on a scene and hone in on really specific moments and details. I might talk about a two-minute scene for six minutes, and if I'm showing that scene while I'm talking about it, all I can do is put it on a loop. So after a few of those videos, I came back to YouTube, where I had just been posting the audio like I'm doing now, except with a link to the video version on Blip, and started experimenting with ways to avoid copyright flags. I tried using a teleprompter and putting myself on camera, occasionally interrupting my video with screenshots. I thought fewer pictures might be less likely to be picked up by copyright bots. Nope. I got flagged for the Rewind United review of Stargate. I tried putting a whole review's worth of stills in the corner of my footage with videos like Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Drat foiled again. I never liked going on camera for this show because I wanted to focus on the material itself, and it felt awkward reading into a microphone with a camera pointed at me. It was harder to edit out mistakes and not look clunky now that there was a visual component to the reading and the rhythm was all off. Eventually, I went back to the stills and just hoped for the best. Usually, a video would be up for at least a couple weeks before it got flagged, depending on what company owned the video I took the stills from. But more and more companies started cracking down harder, especially Fox and Warner Brothers. And I had to accept that a video might not even be viewable after a while. You can dispute flags, and sometimes you would win, but it's not worth the hassle, and eventually there's going to be another video that's going to get completely blocked. So last year, after taking a poll to see how many of our viewers tended to just listen to these reviews rather than watch them, it was an overwhelming 70% majority, I made the hard call to axe the screenshots entirely. I started hosting the show on Podbean, iTunes, and most other major podcasting platforms, and I uploaded the audio with a custom title card made by Danny Nixon and now often Malik Myers to YouTube. I have never been comfortable with this, but it became necessary to ensure the reviews could be heard. It takes a lot longer to make this show with the screen grabs. The 45-minute to an hour reviews are a 5-7 to hour edit job, not counting audio editing, but it's always been a video series and I hate losing that visual component. It's so much easier to illustrate my points if I can give a frame-by-frame breakdown of a scene or show an insert shot of a really particular detail. And if it's been a long time since you've seen the movie I'm talking about, the stills help to jog your memory. And even though the series is primarily intended for viewers already familiar with the material, I know there are folks who watch the show even if they haven't seen the movie, and it's a lot easier for those viewers to understand what I'm talking about if they have something to see. But on the plus side, I can make a review in about half the time, so I can put them out more often. And I don't have to concern myself with the length as much. Sure, I let some reviews with stills get to the hour, hour 15 mark, like The Dark Knight Rises and Man of Steel, but those were huge editing jobs, and that daunting editing session was always in the back of my mind as I wrote those. It was always at least a month between reviews when they were that long. As a glorified podcast, longer reviews are justified because people are looking for long material if they're going to listen to something as opposed to sitting down to watch it. It's also nice not to have to worry about what format I'm watching the movies in. I used to have to make sure I owned DVD copies of every movie I reviewed and every film I've reviewed in the past that I might need a visual reference for, which I used a lot, and that's one of the time-consuming things about editing the stills. I can't tell you how many times 
times I pulled screen grabs out of the Batman Begins DVD. I can't take stills from a Blu-ray. I have a Blu-ray drive, but I've never found software that's compatible with my machine. I can take stills directly from the desktop, so digital copies work fine. But if all I have is a Blu-ray, I'm sunk for getting screen grabs. For anyone curious, I used VLC Media Player to take screen grabs directly from DVDs. That's a nice feature built into that program, and it's free. You can even set up a hotkey so you're not clicking your mouse constantly while you're watching a movie. Superhero Rewind Trivia, my hotkey was always the number one. So I pressed 1 about 2,000 times while watching a movie. That gave me a folder filled with screenshots in sequential order, and I pulled pictures I wanted based on the thumbnails. Just click the hotkey every few seconds, and it takes an automatic picture. No need to pause or anything. I would make sure and grab specific things I thought I might use, like insert shots for important plot points, such as a computer password in a scene, or a bomb countdown, or a list of names, and of course, really iconic comic cover type action shots. For digital copies, YouTube or a streaming video like Netflix, I would use Debut Screen Capture, a free program that charges a minimal fee for commercial use. It allows you to capture a portion or all of your screen, and you can even record video of your desktop, which lets you effectively capture video, though at a slightly lower frame rate. Ideally, you want a dual monitor setup for this, so you can select the feed you want to capture in one monitor and have the debut window in another. You can also set up a hotkey for that program. A dual monitor setup is also really helpful for taking notes. When I was taking out screen grabs, I would always have to pause to take notes, so I didn't miss any pictures I might want to use. That also made the process take longer than it does now. I still sometimes have to pause if I want to write a lengthy note, but not as often as I used to. The lack of brevity thing also plagues my meticulous and ridiculously anal retentive notes. I think I wrote 60 pages for the first season of Power Rangers video. Just make sure you've selected the right window when you take your screenshots. Otherwise, you'll find yourself writing a bunch of ones in your word processor or whatever hotkey you decide to go with. While we're on the subject of software, the easiest, most user-friendly editing program I've found, but still with plenty of options and tools, is Sony Vegas. I've used it to edit Rewind for the last eight years, and I did all of Spawn Gear with it, including a lot of the effects, like the floating Doomsman's head, and the chroma key on the hole in the Spawn chest. There are a few visual effects Sid Part 2 graciously made for me, which were accomplished in After Effects, but 97% of everything I needed Vegas to do, it could. I'm still using the archaic but good enough for my needs version 11 because the cheaper edition of the newest version is gutted compared to 11, and you have to buy the very expensive professional edition to do the stuff mine does, which I bought for 50 bucks. Call me cheap, but I just haven't found anything I need that this one won't do, besides stuff you would need a 3D modeling program for. Audio-wise, I've always used the free and reliable Audacity. You have to install separate software to export files, but besides that, it's really straightforward and easy to use. I record in two-channel stereo directly into the program with the Blue Yeti USB mic, made specifically for podcasting and streaming, which has served me well for as long as I've been using Vegas, and that's what I'm using right now. They're nice because you can record uni- or omnidirectional sound. There's a cough button, and you can adjust the gain from the mic itself. They're still popular today, and the newest model costs around 100 bucks on Amazon. I've gotten so many people to buy these mics, they should sponsor my videos. 
So starting from scratch with a two-monitor setup, a decent microphone, editing software, and a computer with a video card that can handle the video editing and screen grabs, if you wanted to risk copyright flags and use my old method, you can make reviews in the original Rewind style for somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500. If this was the only style of video I made, I wouldn't even need to own a camera. There are lots of other things I could discuss here about how I make the series and what it's been like, but instead of trying to guess at everything some of you might like to know about, I thought I'd just ask you directly. So for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to answer a few of your questions. Thanks to everybody who participated. I won't be able to get to everything, but there are lots of great ones, and so let's get to that in no particular order. From Madman, did you ever feel that Superhero Rewind was a safety net? Did you ever want to do something else, but its popularity on the channel, and by extension its lucrativeness, prevented you from giving it up? I never wanted to quit the series completely, because I always intended to review every single American and English language superhero movie in existence, even though that sounded less daunting at the beginning and more preposterous as I went along. But when I set out to finish something, I have a really difficult time letting it go until it's done. But I would be lying if I said there weren't periods where I got a little burnt out on the reviews and had to do something else for a while, or where I didn't get intimidated by a major movie and put it off a little bit. I always get the itch to come back to it when I haven't written one in a few weeks, though. There have also been times when it's difficult to prioritize, like when I was making Spawn Year, much to a lot of viewers' chagrin. From a strategic standpoint, making that series at the expense of Rewind wasn't smart. But from a creative standpoint, Spawn Year was a great learning experience for me. And like I said, I think I'm better at every aspect of video production because I did that. From Donnie St. Pierre, are there any past rewinds that feature opinions of yours that you now completely disagree with? Well, you're never the same person from moment to moment or year to year, and the more you see and discuss, the more your palette and your perspective change. So yes, there are reviews that would be pretty different if I did them today. As I've said from the beginning, each review is based on the last viewing experience I had with a movie. I used to be more impressed with Spider-Man 2 than I am now, but with that movie, I think some of that is a larger deposit of smarter superhero movies than we had back then. It was one of the best when I reviewed it, I just think we've surpassed it a few times, and it doesn't hold up quite as well as it did, though it was a really important blueprint for what to do with these things later, and Doc Ock was a fantastic reinvention. I don't think there are any movies I've completely done a 180 on. That's happened from first impression to rewind, but never from rewind to years later. There are movies I would give a higher or lower score to now, but most of them by like a .5. I have reevaluated more of the really early reviews than any once I got to a more in-depth analysis place, and I think that's because the more I write about something, the more I have a better understanding of what I really think of it. Doesn't mean it might not change down the road, but with a short over view, I may not stumble upon an idea or an opinion that changes the way I look at a movie. If I hadn't really sunk my teeth into the themes and characterization in Robocop or Terminator 2, which I reviewed on Rewind United, I might not have appreciated those movies enough to give them fours. I'll be interested to see how different my verdicts might be for more revisited reviews like the one I did for the original X-Men. I'm planning to do more of those on movies I tackled on the earliest rewinds pretty soon. From Connor Shelton, how long does it generally take you to write a rewind? 
That totally depends on the movie. These days, I tend to let the reviews take the time they take to really explore the ideas and effectiveness of the storytelling. An average rewind in 09 was three and a half to four pages, which is around 2,500 to 3,000 words. I usually average about 1,000 words an hour, so those reviews probably took two and a half to three hours to write. In the early days, I could do the whole thing start to finish from watching the film to editing the stills in a day. These days, it generally takes at least two, sometimes three or four, just depending on how familiar I am with a movie, how much research I feel the need to do, like listening to commentaries, watching special features, and reading up on the background of a movie. For story analysis, knowing a lot about the background of a movie isn't really necessary, and again, generally, I think a work should stand on its own merits, but it can be nice to know the circumstances under which a masterpiece or a complete failure were created, and it's helpful to have a sense of the commercial climate while the movie was in production. The average rewind these days is around half an hour, which is about seven pages or 5,500 words, so less than six hours. The creative juices flow differently with different material and depending on lots of other variables. Sometimes I write slower, and sometimes I write a lot faster. I was a man possessed when I wrote the Fant Forstick review. That clock didn't write at an hour, and it was a 12,000-word review. But I wrote it in a lot less than 12 hours. For whatever reason, that was a really easy write, and I just blew right through it. I really enjoyed doing that one, despite the quality of the material. From Webmaster47, how do Malik Myers and Danny Nixon make those amazing thumbnails? And do they collaborate on each one, since it says art by both of them at the end of each rewind? I'm not a graphic artist, which is why I'm really lucky to have these talented guys making the screenshotless rewinds look more respectable, but their art is all digital, usually starting, I think, with both of them with some kind of photo reference they draw from and then make their own. They haven't collaborated on any of the pictures so far, they're both credited when I use Malik's art because Danny also made the Superhero Rewind and Geekvolution logos. Malik has some really cool title cards coming up, too. From Christian Ogden. Where do you draw the line on what counts as a superhero film? For example, is something like V for Vendetta eligible for review? This is really tough with a lot of movies, because the idea of a superhero is so ambiguous and vaguely defined in the first place. Any character's movie, even if they're not technically a superhero, counts as a movie I have to review if they exist in a world in the comics populated by superheroes. Characters like The Punisher and Jonah Hex. Beyond that, I usually either base it on what's generally classified as a superhero movie or else checks a lot of the boxes for tropes and motifs that I've observed in other movies that have counted, which is why I consider Robocop a superhero movie. V for Vendetta, I think, is usually classified as a superhero movie, so I will probably count it, even if I hesitate to call V a superhero, whereas 300 and Sin City aren't thought of as superhero movies generally, and I don't see enough superhero criteria there to count them, even though I did review Sin City on Superhero Rewind. I did that because there was enough superhero influence it was interesting to review through that lens, though I've kind of thought better of it since then. I also did that unit early on on proto-superheroes, like Dick Tracy. I'll review movies sometimes through that lens, even if they don't technically have to be reviewed, before I can say I have reviewed every superhero movie ever made. I could easily do the Robert Downey Sherlock Holmes movies that way, for instance. I don't have to review TV shows either, but sometimes I like to, for the sake of variety, and because I've got a lot to say about certain shows. From Matboy52, how many times do you watch a film when reviewing it? If it's a movie you're already familiar with, do you just re-watch it once, or do you still watch it multiple times for good measure? 
This changes all the time. It just depends on how well I think I know a movie, understand what it's trying to accomplish, and understand the story, especially if it has a really complex interwoven narrative. I have started writing a rewind before and then gone and watched the movie again before I finished it. If I've seen a movie at least a couple times, I usually only have to give it one watch. If I've never seen it before, I sometimes give it a second watch, but if it has a commentary, usually just once with commentary and once without. Depending on how complicated the story is or how much my brain is racing with ideas, I'll pause a lot taking notes, sometimes taking at least twice the time it takes usually to watch a movie to get through the whole thing. That changes from movie to movie, too. I took meticulous notes when I reviewed Fan Forstick, but only watched it once for that review. Because I was at crunch time on the second-to-last day of the 12 Days of Superhero Rewind, I didn't have time to take notes at all on Mega Man, and I had only seen that once before. Man of Steel I think I watched three times, once with commentary. Red Lightning 17. Do you ever want to go back and rescore some of your past reviews? If so, which ones? There are definitely movies I feel like I was either too easy or too hard on. Again, the reviews are based on my last viewing, so I don't cringe like it's a huge mistake, I just don't always totally agree with younger me. Some scores will definitely change, as I do revisited reviews on some of the early movies. I think I gave X-Men a slightly higher score. The 1990 Ninja Turtles movie will almost certainly get a higher score than it did before. If I did Batman 1989 again, though I don't know what more I could possibly have to say about that movie at this point, I would definitely score it lower. I think I might have been a little too lenient on The Wolverine. I got really wrapped up in some thematic ideas with that movie, and I'm not sure it's actually as good as I scored it, particularly with that week compared to the rest of the movie ending. And it pains me to say it, but I've seen Richard Donner's Superman again recently, and as groundbreaking and inspiring as it is, on a narrative level, I don't think I could give it a four again. There aren't a lot of other fours I would change, though. And I still stand by the zero I gave Turbo a Power Rangers movie. I do think maybe I'd drop my super ex-girlfriend down to a zero if given the chance. I don't know, I really, really hate that movie. And superhero movie is probably worth at least a one over the point five I gave it. From Alex4319. I miss the images. I get that you have to risk copyright strikes to do that, but I like how creative you were with your old videos using them. Well, thanks for the kind words about the old style. As I said earlier, I miss them too, and I'm not comfortable with it. I have to stress this point, because I get this comment a lot, and everyone is super understanding about it, but hoping that I'll take the risk to bring them back. If it was simply a matter of monetization, I would take the risk and I'd take the hit. The problem is, the videos sometimes get blocked. Completely. If no one can watch them, it's pointless to make them. That's the biggest reason I've had to go this way. If they all got demonetized, but I didn't have to worry they'd get taken down, I would post them with stills. I am still considering posting a version with screenshots on another platform and making that a Patreon perk, but I haven't decided if that's the way to go yet. I'm looking into options right now. From Patrick Bateman. If you could go back to when you originally started doing Superhero Rewind and change one thing, what would it be? They'd be fully scripted, in-depth analyses from the beginning. The first review, Superman Doomsday, is only partially scripted, which was a mistake. I almost shot a completely off-the-cuff version, where I would work off of notes, but write nothing verbatim. I don't think the series would have caught on if I'd gone with that format. From The Wolverine 1987. What criteria do you have for a TV show or video game to be worthy of a rewind? 
There's really nothing that makes a piece worthy except that it's a superhero thing and it's story-driven. So video game-wise, it would need to have enough story and not just an excuse for gameplay to analyze in this format. So I would review the stories in the Injustice games, but I probably wouldn't review something like Marvel Rise of the Imperfects. TV show-wise, I could do just about anything. Whether it's episodic or serialized these days mostly determines whether I do a top 10 or a season overview. Those, I suppose, if I want to talk about a show on the whole, I'll do a top 10, and if there's a lot of story meat or the episodes all bleed together, I'd want to do an overview. It's case by case. The only reason I went with a season overview for Power Rangers is because the top 10 list for that looked too obvious when I put it together, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to try that format with, as counterintuitive as it was. I'll never commit to doing every superhero TV show, but I want to do more of them, and if I wanted to, they could keep this series running forever, long past all the movies, besides, of course, new releases. I'd also like to do more single-episode reviews, like I did with the Justice League episode Comfort and Joy. I wasn't sure what the response to that would be, but people seem to like the full analysis on one episode. Feel free to suggest others from your favorite shows. From Ricardo Van Den Brocht. How did you come up with the idea for Superhero Rewind, and which episode was the hardest to make? Believe it or not, I came up with Counting Crypto Freaks before I thought of Superhero Rewind, but I didn't want to look like I was ripping off SF Debris' format. That series, which I've also had to change due to copyright flags from stills, is a lot snarkier and more comedy-driven than Rewind tends to be, and that is Debris' direct influence. I thought of Superhero Rewind trying to come up with something no one else was doing a whole show on, like I said before, and in a format that wouldn't seem too derivative. It's the only thing I thought I knew well enough to tackle besides Star Trek, and again, I didn't want to step on Debris' toes with that. Not just starting out, anyway. After I carved out my own niche, I felt more comfortable to review whatever else I wanted. The hardest rewind to make was probably Man of Steel, which surprised me. I didn't think too much of putting it back-to-back -back with Dark Knight Rises at the time, because I thought my thoughts were pretty solidified. But I found it to be a really confusing and awkward experience as I started to dig into it, and it was kind of unpleasant just how much it fell apart for me in the analysis, after having fallen in love with it first time out in the theater. That's one of the longest write jobs I've ever had. Watchmen was a weird one, too, because I spent a lot longer taking notes and doing research than usual on that one, and I was trying to get it up on a deadline. I mentioned earlier I posted that one in parts. I was editing and posting it one part at a time, hoping to get the whole review up by midnight that night. So people were watching it one video at a time, and as they waited for the next one, I was busy editing it. I have never done anything like that since. From Saqib Tariq. What movies would you like to go back and revisit? Just the reviews I only did 10 to 15 minutes on, those broad stroke reviews in the first year. Ninja Turtles is in the queue and will happen this year. I'd also like to revisit X2 at the very least. I'll let the Rewind Selection Board on Patreon choose which movies to do new reviews on. I'm sure the Raimi Spider-Man movies will be up there. From Nicholas Hernandez, what was the point where you realized you were in over your head with this series, and did that affect how you approach superhero media? At least by 2012, when we started to get bombarded by six to eight superhero movies a year, and it became clear the Marvel train was going to be the gift that kept on giving for years and years to come. Not to mention the constant direct-to-video animated content coming from DC, and the unexpected popularity of the CW superhero shows, and then the Marvel Netflix series, which I don't necessarily have to review on Rewind, but which have helped to cement superhero as a major screen genre that isn't showing any real signs of waning yet. 
it hasn't really changed my approach. It's just made it clear that this isn't the few-year project I originally thought it might be. And it's given me a lot more to talk about in terms of the climate of pop culture and the genre's influence on cinema. From Omari Daniels, is there anything you're dreading doing a rewind on, kind of like when you did Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells? I played up how much I didn't want to review that one, but honestly, it's not actually a movie and I didn't even have to do it. I was kind of looking forward to trying that one to see what a story analysis of a silly, sappy, and horribly written kids stage show would be like. I probably overdid it with that one, but it was a fun challenge. With movies I know are terrible, there's usually a little dread combined with curiosity. I always wonder if some gem of an idea that wasn't brought to the forefront or wasn't fully formed will jump out at me. And those have ended up being some of my favorite movies to write about, even if the viewing experience was god-awful. Some of the most fun I've ever had reviewing were Underdog, Howard the Duck, and Son of the Mask. I continue to play up how much I don't want to review Super Buddies, but I'm hoping for some gold in the I-can't-believe-they-put-that-in-a-movie category with that one. The film I'm dreading most right now is Batman v Superman, because there's just so much to say. I'll be surprised if that doesn't break the length record for a single review. And that's a movie that, of course, a lot of people are ultra-opinionated about, positively and negatively. With BVS, I feel a little like I did before I tackled The Dark Knight Rises. But I was ultimately really happy with the way that one turned out. From Jeffrey Patron, At what point do you decide you've done enough analysis? Is there a point, or is it more based on feeling? The reviews are a lot more comprehensive now than they used to be. I used to stick with one central idea from a movie, like the heart motif in Iron Man, or fear as a motivator in Batman Begins, and then I tack on some other unrelated praises and criticisms at the beginning or the end. I still tend to spend a lot of a review talking about a major idea, if one is present, but I'm a lot more thorough. I don't feel like I have to talk about every single aspect of storytelling or filmmaking, just the things that seem most relevant to me in deciding how well the movie is accomplishing its goals. It's all about everything working in tandem to tell the story it's trying to tell. So I tend to spend a lot of time on whatever aspects that really enhance or detract from that experience. The thesis is, this is the story the movie purports to be telling. These are the ideas it purports to be exploring, and these are the characters it wants me to sympathize with. And then, this is what I am actually seeing. I don't use an outline, though I often have a list of points I want to make sure and make somewhere in the review. I'm finished when I have exhausted that list and made that case. From Thomas Edgehill, what was your favorite rewind? Either Winter Soldier or Days of Future Past. Those movies were both a joy to sink my teeth into. From Ryan Shane Foster, how early on in your life did you talk about comic books and superheroes in such a serious, analytical manner? Was there a time you thought they were just silly stories for kids and nothing more? You approach this material the way anyone would approach any art, and that's what's great about your channel. All art has value. I started looking at superhero movies in a more analytical way, though I have always been pretty critical. At the same time, I started really appreciating narrative analysis and what a good story is. Writing and workshopping fiction in college really led me to that. I try not to hold everything to the same standard. Once again, I try to take every story on its own terms. I only expect a good traditional narrative if that's what's presented. If you're the spirit or superhero movie, you don't have to give me a character who wants something and an opportunity for change. You just have to be good trash. If you're Sin City, you're a melodrama, so the rules are different. 
I agree all art does have value, but it doesn't all have the same value. I don't hold superhero movies up as the pinnacle of modern storytelling, but some of them have become smarter and more poignant than your average predictable blockbuster. And again, some movies have good ideas buried in them that just aren't brought to the forefront enough, but are worth mentioning. It's also important, again, to keep the commercial nature of these movies in mind. The point is usually to make money before it's to tell a good story. And sometimes studios do a better job than other times in allowing filmmakers to prove that you can do both, even when you have a huge investment to make a return on. I've never seen superhero stories as just silly kitty fare. A lot of it is that, and I've always been able to enjoy things that do that well, but Batman was a big role model for me growing up. I always took serious Batman stories seriously. It's just another place to tell any kind of story you want to. But I also don't, and never have, treated superhero movies as brilliant or important just because some of them are trying to be that, and because they're really popular now. It's all about internal logic, making characters become real people, making me so invested I forget, momentarily, that I'm looking at a fiction. From Samuel King. Is Rewind something you see yourself doing for the rest of your life, or do you see yourself eventually passing the torch? I don't think I'd ever give Rewind over to another reviewer, and I can't imagine anyone else being crazy enough to write as in-depth about every superhero movie that's left. And believe it or not, even before upcoming stuff, there's still plenty I haven't done yet, although I made a decent dent in December. Thanks again, by the way, to all the patrons who requested movies. It was a really eclectic and diverse assortment of movies. But no, I really don't plan on quitting until every movie is reviewed. I may take breaks here and there, as I've done in the past, but like with Spawn Year, I am way too invested to quit now. From Lucas Green. Will you be doing a superhero rewind for Arkham Knight? You did one for Asylum and City, so it would be nice to complete the trilogy. And would you also do one for Arkham Origins? Definitely doing night and possibly this year. I don't have a strong need to analyze the origin story, but I'm not ruling it out. I'm also getting a lot of questions about the Telltale Batman games, and I'm definitely going to try at least the first one. I think it would be fascinating to review the narrative of a multipath story like that, since it's not one complete finite piece, and the choices you make can alter what the story is saying with its characters and ideas. How do you review something where you are sort of, in a way, the co-writer? From Ben Thompson, do you think there will ever be a superhero movie so bad you won't review it on Rewind? No. I've committed to doing all of them. I'm getting close to 200 reviews, and I've discussed some pretty awful, insulting, and cringeworthy material. And if I could get through 365 Spawn reviews, I feel like I can handle just about anything. Especially after subjecting myself to Rob Zombie's The Haunted World of El Superbisto. From Charlie O'Donnell, why haven't you done more superhero fast-forwards? The Batman v Superman video I did, before that movie even had a title, was a one-off April Fool's Day video, and I hadn't really considered doing that gag again, but it was really fun to write. For those of you who haven't seen it, I pretended like I'd been to one possible future where I saw the Batman Superman movie, and I reviewed a fake movie I made up. I called a couple things, and was surprised that a lot of the really audacious and crazy stuff I came up with wasn't any weirder than some of what wound up in BVS. If I do another one, it's got to be with the right material. I might do one on Avengers Endgame, but I haven't decided for sure if I'm going to write that yet. I kind of wish I'd written one before we had an official title, like with BVS. And finally, from Nicholas Delacroix, 
are you finally going to review Aquaman Mercy Reef? He's referring to the CW Aquaman pilot with Justin Hartley from 2006, and yes, I am about to do that. I got a lot more when are you going to review this movie comments, and I don't want to give away all my plans for next year. There will be several requested reviews, and some picked, of course, by the Rewind Selection Board on Patreon. But Nicholas happened to bring up my very next review, and you'll see that next week. I never want to promise too much, but I'm working on prioritizing Rewind and getting reviews out weekly as much as possible this year. I would really like to do 52 Rewind videos, and that includes superhero and science fiction and any other kind of Rewind I might write. They won't all be superhero, but one Rewind a week for the entirety of 2019. That is my New Year's resolution. Again, I don't want to promise anything, but that's what I'm shooting for. I'm happy to announce also that I'm going to, starting this year, occasionally do comic book events and graphic novels in the Rewind format, under the title Superhero Rewind in Panels. And that one, as the title suggests, will actually have a visual component, as I don't have to worry about copyright flags for comic panels. And hopefully, I'll never have to. So there's a lot of info about the making of Superhero Rewind and its almost 10-year history now. I know I apologize for length a lot, but I really hadn't planned on talking this long about my own series. Got a lot of great questions. I hope I haven't been too self-indulgent with this, but it has been fun to spin the earth backwards and revisit the early days. I hope you found at least something here informative and interesting, and I'll be back to regular reviews again next week, beginning with the Aquaman pilot. Thanks so much to everyone who asked a question, and thanks to old and new listeners alike for keeping me motivated to keep the madness going. I'm excited to see where the future of superhero movies goes over the next 10 years. I could not have possibly predicted they would become this popular and so much of Hollywood's take, and it'll be fascinating exploring the ins and outs of superhero movies in the past while keenly watching their future unfold. If you'd like to help support Superhero Rewind and Geekvolution at large, go to patreon.com slash geekvolution, and for just $2 a month, you can get three-day early access to Superhero Rewind, as well as access to Geekvolution After Dark, my and Eric's twice-a-month uncensored talk show, where we talk about all kinds of things that wouldn't usually come up on the channel, and at the $10 tier, you can become a Patreon producer. I'd like to thank all of our producers right now, including Nick Manna, Eamon Singleton, Cletus Winslow, Remy LeBlanc, Derek Jacob, The Day Ghost, Michael Gulick, Magpie's Nest Productions, Kareem Roberts, Lot 10 Underground, Michael Mark Micheletti, Carl Maxey, Dimitri J., John Johnson, Jacob Schneider, Nathan Hanford, Aram Zangana, Sartaj Govind Singh, Dylan Mushiello, Caleb, Malik Myers... Lone Wolf Jedi of Gotham, Chewbacca's Lover, Simeon Scott, Justin Hayes, Marie Flowers, Clark Whitfield, Joey Crouch, Ian McKee, and Jeffrey Patron. You guys are wonderful, sure appreciate it. And also with the $50 tier, you can put in a request for a rewind, and I will get to those as soon as humanly possible. Either a superhero rewind, a science fiction rewind, and now superhero rewind in panels. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody, and I will see you again next week. Bye.